themselves from the holy things of the children of Israel, that they profane not my name in those things which they have hallowed unto me. If you are going to be a Christian, you're going to claim Jesus as your own, then you better act like it. If not, don't claim him. Stay away from that which is holy. Now, we said all that, and I'm going to read you an abridged story from the book of 1 Samuel. So we're going to spend the rest of this morning in 1 Samuel. And again, there are times where the Word of God breaks down subjects and uh, we carefully look at things. And uh, this morning we're going to be going a little short as well as uh, we did in Sunday school. And again, I really appreciated, man, I'm telling you, um, Dan has been teaching about God's love and the love for each other and keeping the commandments and how John has been really just over and over and over reminding us of that truth. And honestly, I've needed that this, this time around with the way the world is and the condition of things out there and how people are so agitated at one another. Man, it's been good. First Samuel, please. Let's start in chapter 4. First Samuel chapter 4. I want to tell you a story. And we've seen it in Exodus. We're seeing it in Leviticus. We see it all through the Old Testament. At least until the kingdom's divided and things got really a mess that God led his people by the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, and everything we've been talking about in Leviticus has been happening within the tabernacle. All right? And within the tabernacle, you remember, the sacrifices went on outside the tabernacle, and then they were brought within the holy place. And then once a year, the blood was brought within the holiest of holy, okay, and sprinkled on the Ark of the Covenant with a mercy seat, with a cherubim. And that represented the power and the glory and the holiness of God. Okay, and we're going to see that. So everything so far that we've been looking at is how do we approach God. And you know what's something interesting? Um, you can see the tabernacle laid out two different ways in the Bible. It's almost like God forgot how, that he already told us this. But he didn't. He lists it twice for a reason. He lists it from man's perspective trying to get to God so he starts at the sacrifices and goes to the holy of holies he lists it a second time as God reached out to man and he goes from the holy of holies out to the um, to the altar of sacrifice God purposefully does that because he wants us to be in a relationship with him he wants us to be holy and separated unto God Okay, all of this is hinged around this Ark of the Covenant as a representation of God's presence, His power, His holiness with us. You with me so far? Because the story we're going to talk about here is about this Ark of the Covenant. I don't know, I've seen some fancy chests made in my day, you know, real ornate things, beautiful. And uh, how many of you remember, uh, you know, Indiana Jones going down and picking up that 
Ark of the Covenant fighting off all those snakes and all those things. Okay, why in the world would God decide to make a box, cover it with a bunch of gold, put some angels on it, make it so fancy and down to every little measurement, which have a, every one of them have a purpose, so that he could, we could fit his holiness and his power inside this box? Okay, remember, everything we're seeing in the Old Testament is a picture spiritually of the truth. Okay, and we're going to see a few things here this morning when we address this Ark of the Covenant. So, this Ark of the Covenant representing God's holiness, his power. Be ye holy as I, the Lord thy God, am holy. And this holiest of holy Ark of the Covenant that, it, that is there is that physical representation for the children of Israel. You with me so far? Because we see that. I want to show you a very deliberate picture that God gives us of the, this exact example in Leviticus. All right? We're in First, uh, first Samuel. I gave you a chance to get there, right? Okay. First Samuel, look at chapter 4, verse 22. Chapter 4, verse 22. Okay, the Ark of the Covenant, and look what it says. She said... The glory departed from Israel, for the ark of God was taken. So we understand right here, God is reminding us that his glory, his holiness, his power is represented in this ark of the covenant. And because it was taken, okay, that is departed from Israel. You see the picture, okay, that this is the representation of God's presence, his holiness, his power. Look over to chapter 5, verse 1. We're right there. And the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from uh, Ebenezer to Ashdod. And the Philippines took the ark and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. And when they, they of Ashdod arose early in the morning, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face uh, to the earth before the ark of the Lord. And they took Dagon and set him in his place again. And when they rose early... On the morning, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. And the head of Dagon, both in the palms of his hands, were cut off upon the threshold. Only the stumps of Dagon was left to him. Therefore, neither did the priests of Dagon nor the D Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod until this day. By the hand of the Lord was heavy upon Ashdod and destroyed them and smote them with emeralds, even Ashdod and the coasts thereof. And when the men of Ashdod saw uh, that it was so, they said, The ark of God of Israel shall not abide with us, for the hand is sore upon us and upon Dagon our God. When you brought that ark of the covenant into a false temple with a false god, God moved. Okay, and uh, I think it's an amazing imagery. I'm not going to teach all that. There's a lot more we can learn here. But he smites those people. Um, all right, this word emrods, I wasn't sure if I was going to deal with it or not. Uh, it is a physical malady that many of us might struggle with that sounds similar to what it is. Um, it is a uh, uh, preparation H issue. Uh, I don't know if I need to explain it any more than that. 
that's why it sounds so similar. But I just want you to understand this is a physical malady. It's going to come up in our reading in a few minutes. All right? But God curses them because the Ark of the Covenant, His holiness, was brought into an idol's temple and brought into a heathen community. And God not only judge, had a judgment against the false god, but he also had a judgment against the heathen people. Okay, Because his holiness is not to be touched. You with me so far? You don't mess with God's holiness. Now keep that in mind, because one of the issues that I want us to remember today is how Wednesday night Bible study people, we've talked about what astonished means, right? Astonished mean, comes from the word astonied, meaning standing there like you're made of stone. You're just... You ever been there? You see a car accident right in front of you, you don't know what to do, you're just... Standing there completely still because it just rattled your entire life, shook you to the core, and you don't know what to do. Okay? We need to realize the holiness of God... And getting anywhere near it is that kind of astonishment we need to have. It's that kind of awesome reaction. It should bring us awe when it comes to his holiness. So please keep in mind, he has separated us unto him, but we can be disqualified. And if you're disqualified, you need to separate yourself from the holy thing. It's important that we understand this. Well, here, this holy thing... Okay, the Ark of the Covenant, God judges the heathen. So look, if you would, to 1 Samuel 6. Okay, 1 Samuel 6. And the Ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months. Okay, so they took it, but they hadn't sent it back yet. Okay, seven months. Um, something interesting, and this is a sad story this is a commercial on the side you know that uh what's king saul being king was 40 years king and not once did he inquire at the ark of the covenant not once did he ask guidance from god's power and holiness it's an amazing thing to think about but when david takes over and they're in trouble and they finally do something and god's power works through the ark the philistines said we like this we're going to take the ark. That's how they wound up in possession of it. Okay, so we're one, look at verse 8. We're going to read the majority of the rest of this chapter. Verse, chapter 6, verse 8. So they have it. They don't like it. It's caused them problems. So verse 8. Take the ark of the Lord and lay it upon a cart and put the jewels of gold which, they, uh, which he returned him for a trespass offering in a coffer by the side thereof, and they sent it away that it may go, and see if it goeth up by the way of his own coast to Beth Shemesh. Then he that hath done this great evil, but if not, then we shall know that it is not his hand that smote us. It was a chance happening or that happened to us. So they basically said, all right, listen, we're going to send this Ark of the Covenant out of here going to put it on a cart we're going to put all kinds of offerings on the cart and you're going to take it out of here up to Beth Shemesh and we're going to see whether or not once the ark is gone if all this problem clears up that we're having we'll know that it was the hand of God that was moving 
If not, it was just, eh, we just all happened to get sick. Okay? Verse 10. And the men did so, and took two milk kine, and tied them to the cart, and shut up their calves at home. And they laid the ark on the cart, and the coffer, with the mice of gold, and the images of their emeralds. Don't ask me. And the kind took straightway to the way of Bethshemesh, and went along the highway, lowing as they went, and turned not aside to the right or the left. And the lords of the Philistines went after them unto the border of Bethshemesh. And they of Bethshemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley, and lifted up their eyes and saw the ark, and rejoiced to see it. And the cart came into the field of Joshua, the Bethshemite, and stood there. And there was a great stone, and they claved the wood of the cart, and offered the kine a burnt offering unto the Lord. And the Levites took down the ark of the Lord, and the coffer that was with it, wherein the jewels of gold were, and put them on, a great, on the great stone. And the men of Bethshemesh offered burnt offerings and sacrificed sacrifices the same day to the Lord. And when the five lords of the Philistine had seen it, they returned to Ekron the same day. And the, these are the golden emeralds which the Philistines returned for the trespass offering unto the Lord. And Ashdod, for Ashdod won, and for Gaza won, and for Echelon one, and for Gath one, and for Ekron one, and the golden mice, according to the number of all the cities of the Philistines, belonging to the five lords, both of fenced cities and of country villages, even unto the great stone of Abel, whereunto they set down the ark of the Lord with a stone, and uh, with, excuse me, which stone remaineth to this day in the field of Joshua the Bethshemite. So you see what goes on. The Ark of the Covenant is returned to the children of Israel in Bethshemeth, and they offer sacrifices unto the Lord, and they rejoice because God's power, His presence, His holiness is back with them. Okay, pretty neat. All right, but catch this next part. Verse 19. And he smote, this is God, he smote the men of Bethshemesh because they had looked into the Ark and even smote of the people, 50,000 threescore and ten men. And the people lamented because the Lord had smitten many people uh, with a great slaughter. And the men of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? And to whom shall he uh, go up from us? And they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kirjesh Jarmah, saying, The Philistines have brought again the ark of the Lord. Come ye down and fetch it up now. So I can get, I get that, right? So the ark is back. They offered wonderful sacrifices to the Lord. But they did something they weren't supposed to. They touched the holiness of God. They opened the ark of the covenant. And God smites them. And they said, Get this thing out of here. Again, I want you to see. So the heathen had it in a, in a heathen temple. And God smote. Because you don't touch the holiness of God. Now it's brought to Beshemesh and they offer sacrifices. And they're rejoicing and honoring the fact that it's back. But they touched the holiness of God and God smote them. 
But I, I, I love this verse where it says, Who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? That's the astonishment that we're lacking sometimes when it comes to God's ministry, God's word, God's holiness. The Philistines got a clue. The people of Bethshemeth got a clue and said, come down and get this thing, man. Look at chapter 7, verse 1 and 2. Chapter 7, verse 1 and 2. And the men of Kedjish Yarmah came to fetch the ark of the Lord and brought it unto the house of Abinadab in the hill of the sanctified, uh, and sanctified Eleazar the son, his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. And it came to pass, while the ark abode in Kirjath Jarmah, that the time was long, for it was twenty years, and all the house of Israel lamented. Okay, the, again, they were so afraid of the response that God gave that they left it for twenty years there in Kirjath Jarmah. All right, Second Samuel. Second Samuel. So for 20 years the ark is there because when people touch the holiness of God and don't have the respect they need for it, judgment can easily come. But David, the king, realizes it's time to get the Ark of the Covenant back involved. If I'm going to be king and I love my Lord, uh, I want his presence, his power, his holiness. Okay, so we're in 2 Samuel chapter 6. And again, David, David, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David ro- arose and went with the people that were with him from Baal of Judah to bring thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. And they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in uh, Gibeah. And Uzzah and uh, Aho, Ahio, I knew I was going to get that one wrong, the sons of Abinadab drave the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was in Gibeah, and accompanied the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. And David and all his house of Israel prayed, played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of fir wood, even on harps and psalteries and timbrels, and on cornets and on cymbals. And when they came to Nachon, threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And God smote him there for his error, and there he died by the ark of, the, of God. And David was displeased with the Lord and made a breach that the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah. And he called the name of the place, uh, the name of that place, Paris Uzzah unto this day. 
And David was afraid of the Lord until that day, uh, the Lord that day, excuse me, and said, how shall the ark of God come to me? So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David, but David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. So we see the Philistines, the heathen, in the false temple, that God knocked down on his face and broke into pieces. The Philistines cursed with uh, physical issues and mice and everything. We see it go to Beth Shemesh, and they began to worship God and offer sacrifices, but they mishandled the Ark of the Covenant, and God struck many of them dead. Now, finally, David understands that, listen, we need to get the Ark of the Covenant back to the city of God, back to the city of David, where it belongs. And he goes and begins this journey to bring it, and there's quite the celebration going on. Do you catch it? They got a band out front, you know, 76 trombones with the big... Okay, they got this big to-do happening. But as they're traveling and the Ark is on this cart, as one of the oxen stumbles, the Ark of the Covenant starts to slide off the cart, and Uzzah puts his hand up and touches the holiness of God. And God strikes him dead on the spot. Remember the point this morning is don't touch the holiness of God. David's really displeased. As a matter of fact, he renames the place. That God did a terrible thing to Uzzah in this place, and that's what we're going to call it from there. And David is so upset that he decides that Obed-Edom, you're going to hold on to this. So for 20 years it stayed in Kirjath-Jarmah because God did, the, the people didn't know, know what to do with it. They mishandled it. Now David's like, well, I don't want anything to do with it. Now later on, David does a little search and realizes a couple things. We'll talk about that in a minute. But after all this, I want to go back to Leviticus and read this verse. And hopefully it'll sink in with you and I and with some of the folks that we may have relationships with out in this world. Leviticus chapter 22, verse 2. Speak unto Aaron and his sons that they separate themselves from the holy things of the children of Israel, that they profane not my holy name and those things which they hallowed in me. I am the Lord. Do you see the point? You see what God is reminding us? God goes all through this whole section of Leviticus to remind us that he has done something special in you and I. And he sanctified us. He set us apart. He's made us holy. We are, have an amazing position to represent our God in this world. But then he goes ahead and is very careful and says, but if you're going to have a problem in your life, I'm not interested in you representing me. Remember last week we talked about that song that I heard, and again, I know it was written for a good reason, but the, the song was, you know, I'm a Christian, but I still cuss a little. I'm a Christian, but I still drink a lot. Well, stop doing those things. If you're going to live that kind of life, then don't claim you're a Christian. 
Because I want somebody going out there representing God saying, listen, yeah, I still mess up. I understand I'm a sinner, but I don't want to. Don't give me the excuse, well, that's just who I am. I'm a, I'm a Christian, but I'm a drunk. Isn't that wonderful? Pat me on the back. You ought to know from what God is trying to say here that if you are, have something in your life that is disqualifying you, then don't touch his holiness. Separate yourselves until you get it right. There have been times where I know preachers and I've done it myself. I knew I was not ready to share God's word in God's house and I declined. There was a Wednesday night recently, not the COVID issue, but uh, about summertime that I just knew I just I was not in the right spirit. And I called everyone and just said, listen, I'm not feeling well today. It wasn't a sickness. I knew that in myself I wasn't ready to touch God's holy thing. There's a point in which we need to be astonished. We need to be awestruck at God's holiness. I look around this country, and again, please don't take this the wrong way, and this is being recorded, I understand that, that we're something extra special. We're not. We're just trying our best. But you know, there are a bunch of churches in this country who don't even try to touch God's holiness anymore. They don't talk about the Word of God. They don't preach the truth. They don't talk about Jesus. Yet they call themselves churches, and they call themselves Christians. We need to be careful that if we're going out in this world that we don't profane his holy name. If you and I have something in our lives that ought not to be there, don't strut around like a peacock saying, oh, look at me, I'm going to God's children. Separate yourself from the holy thing until you get your heart right with God. Now, does that mean we'll all be perfect? (laughs) No, absolutely not. But does that mean we're daily trying to walk in the light as he is in the light? You know, 1 John tells us that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from sin. But go to verses later, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Two sides to the same coin. If you're going to walk with him, and dwell with him, and keep his commandments, and live like one of God's children, then please step forward and be sanctified. But if you're not going to live with that, if you're going to be having sin in your life, and the verse that's in between those two verses say, if we say we have no sin, we make God a liar, and the truth is not in us. Walk in the light and represent God, or confess your sin and get it right with God. But don't represent him if you're going to have problems in your life which disqualify you from serving. We talked about that last week, right? If we're not willing to bear others' burdens, if we don't have a walk or a talk like a Christian, if we are not able to grow in his word, these are all things that God says, okay, wait, 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 wait. Until you get that straightened out, sit on the bench. You're not going to play in the game. This is important, guys, because there are too many people in this world who use the name Christian, and that word has become almost ridiculous anymore, because the people that use it have very little to do. 
There are political figures who have stated, I'm a Christian, and I almost have to laugh out loud because some of the things in their life are not Christian at all. Now again, I'm a Christian. Do I have things in my life that are a problem? Yes, but I know they're a problem and I want to take care of them. That's the issue. If you and I are going to deal with God's holiness, we need to realize how awesome a responsibility that is. This is not a game you can play. Ask the Philistines. Ask the people of uh, Beth Shemesh. Ask Uzzah and his family. Uzzah was a man of God, man. He was trying his best to bring this celebratory action of bringing the ark to the city of David. This was amazing. And Uzzah wanted to keep the ark of the covenant from falling off the cart. I would have. This is the most precious thing we have in representation of our God. I don't want it to fall down in the mud. But he still did what he wasn't supposed to do. He stepped out and touched God's holiness. Now, there's a little side commercial here, and I want to put it in just so we understand. One of the problems here, and this is just a commercial, just a warning, and we'll be done. Um, How was the Ark of the Covenant supposed to be carried? On poles, okay? The, The priests never touched the Ark, okay? Again, that's a reminder. The priests never touched the Ark. They put poles through hoops on the sides of the ark and they carried the ark on poles okay the ark was to be borne upon the shoulders of the priests the priests carried the ark now again i'll step back for just a second who is supposed to carry the holiness of god in this world the priests okay be careful not to touch it but we have the responsibility of bringing it One of the things here that David got himself in trouble, and remember I said David went later and read some things about, he read the books of Moses and found out, wait a second, the priests are supposed to carry this thing on poles. Where did he get the idea that it would be good to bring it on a cart? The Philistines. So an interesting warning here. Now, I don't know about you. As a priest, I'd think, man, that thing's got to weigh quite a bit. I'm not exactly excited about carrying it all the way. Let's put it on a cart and let the cows do it. That's the easy way, right? But that is the way that the world came up with the idea. That was the world's solution. The Philistines said, you know what? Let's put it up on a cart and we'll send it that way. And all of a sudden, God's people said, huh, I like this idea of being on a cart. It's easier. Why don't we just put it on a cart? And because they did it the world's way, Uzzah had to reach out and try to stop the disaster from happening. You still don't touch God's word. So the warning here is, make sure that you and I are doing things the way God wants it to be done, not the world. Because I'll tell you what, there's a lot of religious groups who have, I don't mean just Christian, I mean religious in general, who have taken the world's ideas and let it infiltrate his, his house, infiltrate their religion, infiltrate their worship, and they do things because this is the way the world wants it done, not the way that God wants it done. 
if they would have never put it on the cart, you know why it's carried by so many priests? And I love this. Man, do I love this. And I hope after I say it, you'll love it too. It's carried by priests because you know what? One of the priests can stumble and the ark never falls. I don't know about you, but I stumble now and then. You? I love to know that God's a forgiver, that I can have a misstep and it doesn't mess up God's holiness. When you do it God's way, God takes care of things. We don't touch it, but you know what? We'll still bear it, and if one of, them ha- one of us happens to have a weak knee day, the other ones are bearing it for one another. The, uh, guys, I can't tell you how amazed I am over and over and over. That God could have created a cart covered with gold, and that's where he put the you know, cherubim and everything, right? He could have made it a cart right from the beginning. Why did it have to be a box with hoops that you stick sticks through? Because he knew exactly what he was talking about. He wanted us as the priests to bear his holiness, his power, his testimony to this world. And you don't have to worry about sliding off the cart because if one of the priests happened to have a little weak moment, the other priest can carry for him until he gets his feet back underneath them. And if he was disqualified and he couldn't do it anymore, some other priest stepped in and did it for him. Do we understand the point today? And this is where I wanted to go. What we were dealing with Leviticus on God doing an amazing thing in us and helping us to be separated and sanctified unto him. And we have a special privilege to serve him. But never, ever, ever underestimate the fact that if we are trying to do it in our own flesh or the world's way and we touch the holiness of God, that is an awesome thing. When you're handling God's holiness, His power, His word, His ministry, it is not something to play with. It is something that is probably the most delicate situation that you and I need to walk every day. We represent, we are ambassadors, we are His priests. Take it seriously. It's an important responsibility. I'm done. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. And Lord, over and over and over we see you reminding us that you had everything down perfectly. Father, even the design of this Ark of the Covenant. Yeah, I I get it. I, I wouldn't mind putting it on a cart and driving it. Why do I have to, you know, lug the thing around? Father, you had a reason for that. A good reason, because we, your priests, are to bear your holiness, your testimony, your power, your love to this world. And so, Father, I just pray as we're uh, going out there, we understand what an awesome responsibility this is. It was nothing that needed to get played with. And, Lord, you show us these physical things. I am so glad, Lord, that if I'm not in the right mood, I'm not getting emeralds. Lord, that I'm not getting infested with mice. I'm glad that, Lord, if something is mishandled slightly, you're not striking 50,000 people dead. Father, all those things were physical pictures to remind us of the spiritual truth. It is an absolute awesome responsibility to bear your name to this world. We are Christians. Father, help us to understand how important what a privilege and how 
fearful that should be. Father, thank you so much. And Lord, one thing that strikes me, it's that the Ark of the Covenant, this power, this testimony, sat idle for seven months, for three months, for 20 years, because you were reminding them how important this is. Lord, please, if we're set back because of realizing the responsibility we have that we don't just let it sit idle for 20 years lord we get ourselves right and bear the ark bear the name of the lord father we don't have the time anymore to wait we've got to do it now so father thank you for your holiness thank you that we get to be holy because you set us apart thank you in jesus name amen I don't know if Matt had an idea or not coming up. I don't even see. Nope, nope. All right. Kim hit the piano. I wasn't sure if we were going to go. But listen, it's a very, very fine line to walk to be people who can carry the holiness of God but still be people who can trip and fall. Be people who want to represent our Savior but people who ain't perfect. It's a fine line. We want to make sure we're doing our best every day so that when we go out and talk to people about Jesus, they don't get the wrong impression of what somebody who is a Christian is. We don't want to be living our life however we want to and then say, oh, by the way, I'm a Christian. It's important. All right, love you. Talk to somebody about Jesus. Love them. Man, this world needs some love. Talk to the Ukrainians. It's a mess. Keep them in prayer. Thanks. You're dismissed.